The series is called Moses. It's amazing that we can just name the whole series right after a guy, right? His life is so amazing. This is like the 40th, I think, week we've spent with Moses. Like, I think for you and me, if somebody decided to spend 40 weeks talking about us, they'd really run out of interesting things. Am I right? 40 weeks about Moses, and we're still going strong. And at the end of today, you're going to be like, oh my goodness, just when I thought God did such amazing things through this awesome man's life, look what happened now. Today, the sermon is called, Show Us Your Glory. When it comes to God and Moses, they have a special relationship And we're going to see today what happens when that relationship is strained and then restored because a man of God asks God to show his glory. I want to actually open up the sermon by reading from the book of Daniel. What? Why are we going to Daniel? We're supposed to be... Well, we're going to Daniel because words can't accurately describe what it's like when God decides to pull back the curtain of earth and show somebody a glimpse of God's heavenly glory. Maybe you or maybe you've heard someone say, well, I'd like to meet God. I've got some questions for him. No, no. If God stood in front of you in glory, there's no questions, okay? I don't know how you imagine that interaction going, but let me read to you from the book of Daniel chapter 10, verse 4, of what it was like when Daniel had a terrifying vision. Here's what it says. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face was like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. And the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them. And they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Verse 15, when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. This is a dying man. This is a dying man who can barely breathe because God is revealing himself to a a mortal. So when you imagine God revealing himself to you in glory, be careful what you wish for. 
Moses asks God today an astonishing question. He says, show me your glory. He had no idea what he was asking. Show me your glory. Through this encounter, we are going to learn a ton. We're going to learn who God is. We're going to learn who we are. And we're going to learn how we can know God and see him in his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are not right now displaying yourself in full majesty and glory because who can survive? Thank you that you, though, are working to reveal yourself in mighty ways. Thank you that just as you respond to the, to the bold plea of Moses who wanted a greater revelation of you, so you will respond to us if our hearts welcome you. We remember, Jesus, that you said that you stand at the door and knock. And so, Lord, we open our hearts to you this morning and we ask that you would show us your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, returning back from Daniel, we're going all the way back to Exodus chapter 33. To give you a little context, uh, the, the encounter that's happening here is really bad. Moses has already led the people out of Egypt, and there they are at the foot of Mount Sinai. Moses went up, God gave him the Ten Commandments, Moses came down, the people were partying to a foreign false god, and so it was really bad. Like thousands of people died, and God threatened to kill the whole nation. So, so I don't know what a bad day at your job is like. Maybe you, can, maybe you have a bad day. Okay, bad day for Moses, the deliverer of a nation, is when the whole nation's about to die. So Moses' stress level is like redlining, and he goes down and he takes care of the people leading, the, leading this rebellion, and many people die, tons of funerals, and then he's like, I'm going to go by, back up there and see what I can do. The problem is, God is not meeting with Moses on Sinai again just yet. We find out that Moses has set up this tent far outside of the camp, and God is sending his people a message. I've shown you my presence. You have rejected it and rebelled. So now it's like, look over there, everyone, off in the distance. What is that? Oh, it's Moses meeting with God all the way over there. God's trying to show them what their sin has done. Moses doesn't like it because he's enjoyed a great relationship with God, and now it's strange. So that gives you the context of where we're at right now. So it says in chapter 33, verse 18... Moses just comes right out and says it. He says, Moses said, please show me your glory. God, from Pastor Jeremy's sermon last week, said, I'm not even going to go with you. And then through mediation, God said, fine, I will go with you. And now Moses is missing God showing his glory. And and he wonders if it's going to happen again. So he says, show me your glory. This echoes something Moses had said in verse 13. So in chapter 33, verse 13, he had said this. Uh, He said, show me now, now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. Here's a humble man of God asking God, reveal yourself. Show me who you are. Show me how to know you. Show me how to please you. Show me your glory. This is what it looks like to hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is what it looks like to draw near to God. Moses is setting a great example for all of us. So you can write this down in your bulletin, number one. Who is God and how can I know him personally? Who is God and how can we know him personally? This is the question that's being answered in the text. This is the bold question that Moses is trying to get answered. 
Show me yourself. Show me your glory. Hey, I don't know where you're at in life right now. I don't know if you're having a good day. I don't know if you're having a bad day. Good month, good year, bad year. I don't know if you know the Lord Jesus. I don't know if you don't. Maybe you and God have not been on speaking terms for years. I don't know. But what we see in the Bible here is that if you ask boldly, God will reveal himself to you. Are you asking boldly in your trial, in your confusion? Are you asking boldly? Show me your glory. We were designed for this. We were designed to seek God, to encounter God, to know God. That's what you were made for. It says in Isaiah 43, 7, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. You were created for God's glory. Well, it's important to know what that means then, isn't it? Glory emanates from God. So when I say God's glory, or when someone says glorify God, it's very important that you know what that means, because that's what you're breathing for. Okay? Glory emanates from God. You, you know God has been somewhere or done something when he acts, and that glorifies him. Therefore, God's glory is proof that he has been somewhere or that he has done something. That's what God's glory is. Glory emanates from God being somewhere or doing something. So you can glorify God by becoming someone who, who is evidence that God has been in your life and has done something in your life. That's what it means to glorify God. You show forth his greatness. And God's glory is anything that shows forth his greatness. And you were made and put here to show forth his greatness. The word glory, uh, kabod, the word glory comes from the word weight. Uh, and, and the word weight the, doesn't mean like, you know, waist size. The word weight means the, the gravity of the person. So a king can have glory, right? A nation can have glory. And when we talk about God's glory, we're talking about his greatness, the weight of his nature. So here Moses is meeting with God in a tent outside the camp. The nation is in big trouble, and Moses wants to see God's glory. We see something here. We see that our sin separates us from God's presence. Our sin separates us from God's presence, and Moses shows what it means for a man to draw near to God. He has to go outside the camp. He has to draw near to God. He has to ask God to show him his glory. This is important to understand because if you want to know God, if you want to know him personally, you have to know where you're starting. Jot this down. Well, actually, let's read a little bit more and then we'll jot this down. Look at verse 19. It says this. Uh, he says, show me your glory. That's in verse 18. And then in verse 19, he says, I will make all of my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. The Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. While my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I'll cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Uh, you could jot this down. Believe God is holy and dwells in unapproachable light. 
Believe God is holy and dwells in unapproachable light. Show me your glory. Uh, Okay, that's going to be a highly regulated encounter. Highly regulated encounter. Because, Moses, you don't know what you're asking for. If I said yes, you'd be dead. If you got what you just requested, you'd be gone. In fact, not just you, but everything. God is holy and he dwells in unapproachable light. And he says here, I'll, I'll have my goodness pass before you, all of it. I'll proclaim my name. I'll be gracious and merciful, but you cannot see my face. That doesn't mean like God's face face. That stands for all of the Lord. You cannot see all of my glory. Why? For man shall not see me and live. Wow. God is holy and he dwells in unapproachable light. How would God reveal himself? Well, first of all, there's about to be this glorious spectacle, uh, this glorious spectacle, this light show that is greater than anything you've ever seen with your eyes. But God immediately takes the attention off of the light show, which is going to be beautiful and terrifying and probably hot and bright. And God talks about other things like his, his name and his interactions with people, meaning, hey, this initial light show spectacle is kind of a down payment or a foreshadowing of everything I'm going to do in history to show you my glory. So it's not all about the light show. God was going to display his glory as his plans unfolded and his promises came true. But he would give Moses an initial show that he would never remember. Now, in Psalm 19.1, it says the heavens declare the glory of God. God's glory can be seen in creation. When Moses asked God to show him his glory, what would that be like if God really did it? Well, one of the ways we can compare what that would be like is by looking at the glorious things God has created. So I, I'm kind of a sci-fi nerd. Don't judge me. Star Trek, love it. So when I found out that there's this computer program called uh, the Universe Sandbox, where you can actually play with the stars and the planets, and you can form scenarios where you're moving things around, and it shows you what would actually happen if this star went here, or this black hole went here, or whatever. I thought, this is right up my alley. So some Irish guy did this scenario where he took one of the largest stars in the universe and decided to bring it to our solar system, right, in this, in this computer animation. And it's, it's like physically, it's doing the math to figure out what would really happen to all the planets. So check it out. Here's a little rendering of what would happen if uh, Canis Majoris, one of the biggest stars out there, there it is, came to our solar system. Do you see our little solar system there with our tiny little sun and all the planets revolving around it? Do you see that? Do you see it? This is, this is what it would look like if this gigantic sun decided to vacation in our solar system. Now, that's terrifying. Do you see? Can you imagine the brightness and the heat? Can you imagine? And, and he's commenting on this and he's saying things like, Earth's up to 800 degrees. Earth's up to 1,000 degrees. And imagine you wouldn't be able to see anything if you walked outside. Now, here's why I showed you this. Um, that's something God made. That's something God made. 
Look at what I made. And imagine if God only showed you something that he made that was so hot and glorious that it would melt you. And then what if he showed you himself? Oh my goodness. Moses just asked for the extermination of the universe. Show me your glory. Okay, I'm not going to kill everyone. But I'll do something. God is glorious. He dwells in unapproachable light. We learn what God isn't here. These are bonus notes. You can jot these down if you want. But God isn't a a mystical force. He's not an energy. Which means he's not impersonal. Like a warmth or a force. That's not what God is. He's a moral being who has rational, intelligible, emotional conversations with people. God is a person. Maybe you're not decided on the nature of God. Maybe you think he's just an energy or a light that's false. He's not a mystical force. We also learn that God is not a material being. He's not a material being. When God has his glory go before Moses, this is beyond space and time. and this This is beyond matter. This is like commandeering all of it to show a spiritual reality. So God is a spiritual, eternal being. He is not a material being. We also learn that God is not a magical or mythical being. He exists. He's real. He lives. He's not this made-up story or this hypothetical. He lives. I live today because I, I ate Apple Jacks this morning. That's what's keeping me going. God lives, and he, this will blow your mind if you think about it long enough, he has never not been. He just is. Believe God is holy and dwells in unapproachable light. That's the starting point. Who is God and how can we know him personally? Well, here's who he is. Jot this down. Now you have to know who you are. Believe we are sinful so we cannot approach or see God. We're sinful so we cannot approach or see God. It says here, show me your glory. I'll make all my goodness pass before you. We'll proclaim before you my name, the Lord. I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and show mercy on whom I'll show mercy. So there's a sin problem. We need God's grace. We need God's mercy or we can't relate to him. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Descriptions of the angels even include them. These are spiritual beings that are really advanced. And they cover themselves up when they're in God's presence. How foolish we are to think that we could endure God's full glory. The reason we can't see God and live is, first of all, because of who he is. But second of all, because of who we are. We're sinful. We can't just barge into the presence of God and survive. We're sinful. We can't, listen, we can't approach him or see him, period. Period. This is the problem that's being illustrated here, and we have to understand that what God is showing Moses is a gigantic problem. How can I be worthy to enter God's heavenly presence? Answer, you can't. How, how can I stroll up to God's presence and get my light show? Answer, you can't. No. The answer is no, Moses, and the answer is no, to everyone. Um, this, is, this is a big problem. 
Because this isn't a story of people forming a single file line to get their shot at seeing God in his glory. This is the story of one man given a highly regulated exposure to a degree of God's glory and then going down and telling everyone else why they can't have that. Please understand that if you want to know how to relate to God, how you can know him personally, it begins by admitting you don't have it. You don't have it. Sometimes people think they've known God their whole life. Well, I've known God my whole life. No, you haven't. You've known people who've known God your whole life. But if you think, oh, I've been great with God from, I've, from when I've been like two. No, no, you haven't. You don't have it. When you think you have something that you don't have, Satan has really, really succeeded in your heart. You have to understand that your starting point is you don't have a relationship with God. Your relationship with God begins when you understand you don't have him. Sometimes people think that they've been connected to God by things that don't bring them to God. Church doesn't bring you to God. Coming to church doesn't bring you to God. Religion doesn't bring you to God. Going through steps and jumping through hoops and competing, completing classes, that doesn't bring you to God. Okay, good works. Well, I've done a few good things in my life. I'm kind to animals. I, that doesn't bring you to God. It does not bring you to God. In fact, nothing you do brings you to God. This is illustrated here. No, you cannot come into my presence and live. You can't see me. You can't approach me. Well, then, how can I know him? Well, we're moving on to number two. How has God revealed himself to us? You can jot that down. Who is God and how can we know him personally? You can't. Okay, well then how has God revealed himself to us? Look at verse, uh, reading on, chapter 34, verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first. Do you remember the, what happened to the first? What happened to the first Ten Commandments? Yeah, Moses threw him on the ground because he was so mad at the Israelites. They were, that portrays, though, what they were doing to God's law. They were breaking it. I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready by the morning. Come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So... Okay, you see again here, no one's coming up. No one can come into my presence. That's the message. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. He rose early in the morning and went up on the Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. Took in his hand two tablets of stone. Then the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Wow. So when I read to you what it was like to be Daniel, this is not what it's like to be Moses. Like this glorious cloud comes down, light so bright that you can't see. I would imagine there's a ton of heat. I mean, this, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were kept in the fire. Moses keeps walking up to a mountain on fire and living. All right, so they weren't the first ones to experience this. And then this, this roaring voice begins to declare the name of the Lord, the will of the Lord. And Moses is holding these, these tablets. We learn so much here. How has God revealed himself to us? 
Well, God called Moses and the nation to himself. They had to be broken free from bondage in Egypt to encounter the living God. That shows us a lot. We need to be broken free from bondage to sin and called into God's presence. We also know that God showed up in his word. The burning bush talked to Moses, fire. The plagues on Egypt showed God's glory. There was fire in those. They crossed the Red Sea, and then they came to Sinai, which is on fire, and now God's glory is passing by. There's light, there's strength, there's beauty, but he's also talking about his justice, his love, his purity, his patience. So jot this down. God has revealed himself by giving us his word. God gave us his word. He really, literally wrote in stone his law. God has a law, a moral law, and our job is to respond humbly to it. People today think they can just make their own morals up. Well, I, I think that it's right to do this. Well, I think it's wrong to do that. God really doesn't care what you think. Like, he's king, and he has a law, and he wants you to learn his law and to humble yourself before it. He wrote it on stone. He gave us his word. Today we are taught that we can discover truth within ourselves. That's false. We don't discover truth within ourselves. We are handed truth from heaven. And we have to humble ourselves before it when we hear it. Um, today people think that varying contradictory truths can all be true at once, right? Especially with, well, other, other religions can be true too. As long as they believe it, then it's true for them. How many of you have heard people say that before? Well, as long as you really believe it, then it's true for you. Uh, well, we're rational beings, and so we understand that all religions don't teach the same thing. They teach very different things. So Buddhism teaches that you're not real. Nothing is real. And the greatest thing that could happen to you is you could wake up to the fact that you're being deceived. There is no you. There is no universe. And then you just stop existing. Well, that's not what I believe. It's not what you believe if you're a Christian. So to say they teach the same thing is contradictory. But today people think you can just say that, well, they're both true at the same time. Well, no. We believe that truth is absolute, and it's binding on people whether they agree with it or not. God gave us his word. God also defined himself. Here's who I am. Here's who I am. Abounding in love. Forgiving. He describes himself slow to anger. Keeping steadfast love. Everybody is like, yeah, amen, I like that. But then he talks about he will by no means clear the guilty. He will visit iniquity on the fathers of the children, the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. What does that mean? That means that sin causes suffering to you, to your children, to your grandchildren. So there's no such thing as a sin that has no victims. Your sin, the sins of our politicians and our rulers will cause suffering in our country. Uh, the sins as politicians and rulers gather and make decisions will bring great consequences on the world. So... We choose to sin, we choose to suffer, and God will not shield us from that. God's wrath and his judgment will reveal his glory as well. So God tells us who he is, and, and today it's very fashionable also to just, to just be able to define God however you want to. Well, I think God's like this. Well, I think he's like this. Well, I think he's like this, and we're just all making stuff up. Um, and it's insulting to invent things about someone that aren't true. It's insulting. If people start saying things about you that aren't true, it's insulting, right? It's insulting. I mean, if, if you have, uh, you know, black hair and green eyes and someone's like, your blonde hair is the prettiest I've ever seen, you're going to be like, huh? 
Oh, no, it's the prettiest. No, my hair is not blonde. That's not true about me, see? So if you say things that aren't true about someone, what if you moved on to their character? You're a liar! No, I'm not. It's insulting. But people think today that they can just make anything up about God and he's going to be good with it. No, he won't. He's told us who he is and he's told us who we are. We disagree with God on who we are. We think we're all good people who've lived good lives, and that's just not what God says. God has even shared his name and his primary description here. His name, he told to Moses, is I am, which is a fascinating description. I am, because it can only be said of one being. I am. He's just always existed, and he's self-existent. I am. But he's also called the Lord. It's his primary title, which means he has all authority over all creation, and you too. He has authority. His attributes are amazing. So God is not just glorified by this light show that he's showing Moses. He's also glorified by how he's going to transform lives, how he's going to bring this nation safely into the promised land. All of this is going to bring him glory. He's also going to be glorified by how he judges people and nations. His justice brings him glory. This is how God is going to reveal his glory. God gave us his word. Hey, are you responding humbly to God's word? Is your heart open to this book? Moses responded humbly. He fell on his face and bowed his head and worshipped. Is that you? Jot this down. We also see that God spoke through authorized messengers. Authorized messengers. One of the greatest reasons that people today don't know God and are just making stuff up is because they won't let anyone else tell them who God is. They don't trust the Bible. Well, that's written by a bunch of men, you know, long ago. You can't even trust. They reject the Bible because they don't want people telling them what to believe. And this problem with authority is really blocking all of God's knowledge and presence from so many around us. The truth is this, that God speaks through authorized messengers. So if you have a problem with authority and you reject people telling you who God is, then you're actually walling off God from speaking to you. You have to accept that God put a mediator in place to get you the truth. God didn't welcome the whole nation up the mountain. He sent one guy down and said, tell him what I said. So you have to humble yourself before sinful people who speak on behalf of God. That's what's happening right now. I'm a sinful person who has been appointed a uh, herald of the good news, right? And if you're like, I don't like him. I don't think I'm going to listen to him. Okay, fine. You don't have to like me. But what I'm saying, what I'm saying is from heaven. What I'm saying is from heaven. And God has appointed me each week here to speak on his behalf, which is a tremendous honor. God spoke through authorized messengers. Authority is a big problem in many hearts, and God wants to solve it. He will speak through others to you. Satan will attack your definition of God. He'll, question, he'll cause you to question God and to warp your view of him and to darken God's understanding. And a lot of that happens when he gets you to question authority. Uh, we took the family to Six Flags earlier this week. Six Flags Great America. Even though I'm 40, I can still go on roller coasters, which is great to report. I decided to go on the American Eagle. I'm not sure how it hasn't fallen over yet onto I-94, but here's some pictures from our Six Flags trip. You can see that I've got my popcorn, and I've got my Coca-Cola, and my Purell hand sanitizer as our journey begins. Here's another picture. That's me and Lauren on the wizard. And then we split up because I took the big kids on roller coasters, and then here's what happened. I got stuck with my nephew Jonah on the Eagle. So there's us stuck on the eagle, just sitting there because it's not moving anymore. 
there we are. Five minutes, ten minutes goes by, and then the people who work the, the, you know, the place where you get on the roller coaster walked out, and they're like, sit tight, because maintenance, it's on his way to get you off the ride. I'm like, okay. Well, then maintenance shows up. The people who work the gates there can't let us off the ride because they don't have the authority. Maintenance comes up, and they're the ones who have the authority to say, all right, we're going to have to get you off the ride. Here's how we're going to do it. And the maintenance guys start bossing around all the workers who work the gate. You've got to do exactly what they say. All right, be careful. We don't want you to fall because you're still a good ways up, even though you're at the end of the ride. So we did exactly what they said. We got off the ride, but we couldn't get off the ride until someone with the authority to release us arrived. That's how authority works. God gives people authority to speak on his behalf. And if you're like, I'm going to hear straight from God. If you're kind of the person who's always like on the walkie-talkie with God. Well, God told me this. Well, God told me that. Well, God told me this. If you refuse to have a mediated relationship with God, he's not going to talk to you. Okay? He's not going to talk to you. He talks to you through others. So jot this down. I must submit to God's word and repent of my sins. I must submit to God's word and repent of my sins. It says, Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Quickly, very quickly. He's humbling himself immediately as God reveals himself. So we're supposed to define God by his word, define ourselves by his word. We're supposed to define what sin is by his word. And what's happening here is God's glorious presence and his holy nature is informing Moses' worship and the Israelites' worship. That's the way it has to be. What we're learning here is this. Your relationship to this book is your relationship to a holy God. What he's revealed about himself through authorized messengers, he will hold you accountable for how you respond to it. You can't be bad with God's word and good with God. It's impossible. So is your heart open and humble? And do you, do you worship the Lord? It says in Psalm 29:2, Ascribe to the Lord the glory. Do his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Do you worship? Do you worship Christ? That's what it means to respond humbly. So number one, who is God and how can we know him personally? Well, believe he's holy. Believe we're sinful. Number two, how has God revealed himself to us through his word, through authorized messengers? And so we have to submit and repent. And number three, this is all leading to number three. How does Jesus reveal God's glory? So closing out what it says in Exodus 33, Moses said in verse 9, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. It is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and sin, and take us for your inheritance. Verse 10, And God said, Behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation, and all the people among whom you are, shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. And what God did with Israel was he, through Joshua, took them into the land. Through the judges and David, he established the kingdom. Through the prophets, he warned the people and rebuked them, but then ultimately he sent his son in through the nation of Israel. That's the whole purpose. And if you don't understand that what Moses just showed us, is a brick wall. You are not getting into God's holy presence. You won't understand that the New Testament gives us the answer to Moses' question. How, how can I see your glory? And the answer is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to put on the screen, uh, you could actually turn there too, but the book of John is going to connect the Old and the New Testament for us together. 
So you can turn to the book of John, chapter 1. We're going to put some other verses on the screen. But it it says in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 9, it says, The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. Do you see that? True light. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Jesus is called the true light. So here you have Moses tucked away in a rock with with like an angel of the Lord covering his eyes while the glory of the Lord swoops past because otherwise Moses dies. And then at the very end, his eyes are open and he gets to see uh, like the swoosh, like the, the afterburn, like the effect of God's glory going by. And that's it. And that's it. And now you have Jesus being described as the light of the world. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. Here comes God's glory. Look at verse 14. The word, that's Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Wow. Glory. The glory of God coming down in the person of Christ. It says in verse 17, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, He has made him known. We have to understand that if you want to experience God's glory, if you want to live in a way that you know the Lord, you're in his presence and he uses you, you have to know the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the answer. He's the way God shows his glory. Jot this down. Ask Jesus to help you see God. You can't see God without Jesus. You have to humbly admit, if you've never admitted this before, God, I can't see you. That's what Moses was saying. Show me. Show me. You can't see God without Jesus. In John 6, 46, it says, Not that anyone has seen the Father, except him who is from God. He has seen the Father. Well, show me in the Bible where it says Jesus is God. Well, he's seen God. And he lives. In John 14, 9, it says this. Jesus said to him, to Thomas, have I been with you so long and you still don't know, or Philip, you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus said, seeing him is seeing the glory of the Father. Wow. Lauren and I were driving up into Michigan last week on a vacation. We went up to Lake Bel Air, which is by Traverse City, Torch Lake, and we were pulling in at like, it was like 10, 30, 11 o'clock p.m. It was super dark. We were driving around the middle of like, like rural areas around this lake, uh, and, and Siri was not helping. So Siri was, turn left, turn right. And you ever have it where you're looking at the Google Maps, and you're, suddenly you get to like a blurry area? I think when you get to blurry, blurry areas, Siri just starts making stuff up. Because we're traveling on this road, and she's like, turn left? And, and it was this like... It was this one-lane dirt road with like a broken-down shed on the corner, and it was pitch black out, and I'm like, I'm not going down that road. So we pull over, which is not any better, because we're now on the side of the road, and it looks like a horror movie, and I'm trying to get the phone to work, and it's not working, all right? And the problem is we can't see. We can't see where we're going. Listen, without Jesus, you can never find your way to God. You're looking at a foggy map, and you will never get there. 
If you don't have Jesus in your life as Lord and Savior, you will never get to heaven, ever. You need Jesus to see God. And if that is offensive to you, if you're, well, I know God, then you don't understand your sin. You need Jesus to even see God. Number two, jot this down, uh, sub point. Ask Jesus to restore your relationship to God. Restore your relationship to God. Um, everyone who's ever entered this world except one person comes into this world with a broken relationship with God. You started with baggage. We believe that we were born sinful. It was built into the hardware. And we also choose to sin, which means we downloaded all sorts of bad stuff onto our soul. So it's by nature and by choice that our relationship with God is broken. Only Jesus came into the world with an unmediated relationship to God. His relationship with God has never been broken. He's the only one. And because of that, he's the only sinless son of God. So you need Jesus to restore your relationship to God. Our sins have broken us away from God and we're sinking down away from him forever. Listen, I need to add tons of gravity here because this is maybe why you came here today on this rainy day. You have to understand the weight of the problem your sin has caused you. In Hebrews 1.3, it says this. He, Jesus, listen, is the radiance of the glory of God. Show us your glory. Here he is. And the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So Jesus is Lord of creation. After making purification on the cross for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. God the Son came into this world to rescue you from sin. He died on the cross to make purification for your sin. Then he rose again and he sits now on the throne in heaven, ready to receive all who repent, turn from their sins, and come back to God. That's the gospel. That's great news. You need a rescue from above. That's the truth. You can't see God's glory. Sinai was all about, you can't come up here. And Jesus came down to rescue us. How many of you have heard about that tragic duck boat incident that happened earlier this week? Isn't that horrible? I've been on one of those. Horrible. 17 people died. Okay, And as I've been watching the news and reading the reports, I'll show you one picture that struck me more than all others. Here it is. This is a picture of the Ride the Ducks duck boat, just on their advertisement. Now, what do you notice about that picture? Do you see what I see? What's on the ceiling? What's on the ceiling? Look at all those life vests. Look at all those life vests. Right here. Right, right here. Reach up. Reach up. Put it on and you'll be safe. It was within arm's reach. And listen, you live every day within arm's reach of being saved by Jesus Christ. Reach up. It's right there. And so many people just will not do it. They will not. And the boat's going down. Listen, the boat is going down, and it's within reach, and people will not accept the truth that they need a rescue, and that's the tragedy. That's the tragedy. Ask Jesus to restore your relationship to God. Finally, ask Jesus to fill you with God's love, power, and wisdom. This is the best news of all that we're going to get into more detail on next week. You... God wants you not just to experience his glory. He wants you to reflect his glory. 
You can be filled with God's love, His power, and wisdom so that every day you reflect His glory to others. When you're saved and then when you're transformed, you show God's glory to everyone. You become a temple of the living God and His glory. Remember when I showed you that sun and we imagined what it would be like if God really did display His full glory? Guess what? He fills you with it. He fills you with it. It says in Philippians 1.11, Be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In John 15, we were told that if we bear much fruit, God is glorified. So when lives are changed, God is glorified. God isn't glorified by light shows. Don't be like, oh, I wish my unsaved relatives would just see the light show. No. No. God is glorified when they see lives transformed. When they see lives changed, that's what is most glorifying to God. Let me challenge you. Basically, what I've said here today is, You can know God, and you can know Him personally. Ask boldly, wherever you're at, ask boldly. Show me your glory. Respond humbly to His Word, and you can reflect His glory daily. You can. But it all starts with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes, and I'm going to close by reading from the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, the Apostle John had a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. And while Jesus walked the earth, meek and mild... Bruce Reed, he didn't break. John got a vision of who Jesus is now, where Jesus is now. And I'd like to read that to you. It says in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands... One like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. Fear not. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus, you are the one we pray to. You are the one we worship. You died for us, and you are alive now, ruling and reigning in glory. Glory that we cannot experience and survive. Jesus, I know that there are many here today who have followed you for a long time. And for whatever reason, they just, they just need a fresh glimpse of your glory. They need to know that you are awesome and kind and loving and powerful and wise. And I pray that they would cry out, show me your glory. May they ask for it. There are many here today, Lord, who trying to find your will. May they submit humbly to what you've revealed about yourself. Maybe there are things about their lives they don't like. May they submit humbly to what you've revealed about themselves. Maybe they don't like the timeline or how other people are ruining their lives. Moses has so much grief because of others and I just pray that they would humbly submit to what you've revealed about yourself. You're patient and 
And there are some here today, Lord, who have never, for the first time, admitted what is true. They've never admitted their sin. They've never admitted they can't see you. They've never admitted that they're not worthy in your presence. They have not been broken. They've not been brought to the point of fear of hell. They have not been driven to the moment when they cry out for a rescue as their eyes go beneath the water. Father, I pray that you would save some right now who realize that the Bible is true, and that we will be punished justly and eternally for our sins. I pray that there would be some who in fear and in recognition of your love and your glory would cry out in their hearts right now saying, Father, forgive me. Jesus, rescue me. May they admit the truth and say sorry to you for all of their sin. No more nonsense. No more imaginary gods. No more going soft on their own sin. May they admit the truth. Take all of their guilt into your presence. And I pray that their burden would be rolled away for good. Show them that Jesus is ruling on high, welcoming us into his presence, saying, Do not fear. He holds the keys of death and Hades. O Lord, may we trust him. Fill us with your glory. Show us your glory again and again. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. The Lord of glory. Amen.